Holy Spirit, we ask that you would use your word to teach us, to change us. Lord, help us to hear your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good to see all of you. Great to have those of you who are watching on the podcast with us as well. Uh, happy, happy Sunday. Uh, this summer, we asked you all to fill out a survey to help us improve as a church, and tons of you uh, took that survey. In fact, uh, the company who analyzed the data for us, who has done this with thousands of churches, said that we were well above average in terms of percentage of people who took the survey. So thank you for that. Well done, you overachieving Belprezers. You, you've got an A. And the results of the survey showed that we are a very, very healthy church in lots of ways. And you all feel good about the vision, about the difference we're making in the community, uh, worship services, all of that. We did, however, have one growth opportunity, a.k.a. weakness. And that was in the whole area of community, that, that many of you don't feel connected or like you know very many people in the church. So the elders and the staff were working on how we can uh, address that weakness, and there's some challenges we face. You know, we're a big church, which makes it hard to get to know people. We're all very, very busy. Plus, some of you may not even want community, right? Like, you may look around and go, I don't want to know these people, right? I, I just want to go to church with them. I, I, I'm here because I can be anonymous, and I get that, because community is one of those, it can be very difficult uh, and kind of awkward sometimes to form actually real genuine connections with other people and have real community. I, I love church bulletin typos, because I always think they are so revealing. And someone showed me one that had two critical typos in it. Bulletin said, that, you know, please remember to pray for those who are sick of our community. Okay. <laughs> Smile at someone who's hard to love and say hell to someone on your way out. Community can be difficult, awkward, we can get sick of it, and yet for Jesus, it is a non-negotiable. This fall, we've been looking at the hard and challenging sayings of Jesus. And at first, this passage where Jesus picks his disciples may not seem to fit with that theme, but I actually think it is one of the most challenging ones we've read, because it is so counter to our individualistic culture. And it shows that Jesus never intended the church to be a club or a spiritual gas station where we get fueled up for the next week. Jesus intended the church to be a close-knit, world-changing community. In part because he knows that without community, individuals can't thrive. It causes a whole lot of problems if we don't have it. We get lonely. I think there's a lot of lonely people in our culture, even if we know lots of people. I think men, particularly in our culture, we've got, we've got guys we go rock climbing with or bike riding with and stuff like that, but, but no one who actually knows some of the stuff that's actually going on with us. I just read a stat that said that folks with lousy health habits, cigarette smoking, eating fatty foods, that sort of thing, lousy health habits but, but have close friendships live longer than people who have great health habits but no community. You know what that means? Forget that stupid diet you're on. Right, like, like fire up the grill, get some steaks going, invite some friends over. Brain research shows that without close friendships, our ability to problem solve and be creative actually just plummets. In one study, they put a monkey in a high-stress environment. You know, flashing lights, loud noises, falling stock prices, that sort of thing. And their stress hormones were just off the charts. But then they put one other monkey in the cage. Didn't change anything else, right? Light's still flashing, reorg's still happening, but they added the monkey's buddy, and not only did the monkey feel better, it started to problem-solve ways to get out of the cage. So who's your monkey? <laughs> like, we all need a monkey in the cage with us. 
Every happiness study ever done shows that what gives lasting joy is not money, it is not accolades, it is connection to God, deep friendships and relationships, and significance in life. Now the problem is we live in a culture that pushes against community, doesn't it? We're so busy, it's hard to really have good friendships. And many of us have been hurt, so it's hard to trust people. And then there are things like Facebook and Twitter and texting, which are good things, but can erode community if they're unmanaged? Because we end up with Facebook lives and Facebook friends and, right, hey, look at my great vacation. Like, nobody ever posts, you know, here's the way my family is a mess, right? It's, hey, look at all this great stuff. Look at the food I'm about to eat. Oh, just eat the food, right? <laughs> so many people aren't enjoying food because they're posting it on Facebook. <laughs> but Jesus knows that we need community. And we see that in today's scripture, which at first just seems like a list of names, but it's actually very revealing. So for instance, everywhere this list appears in the Bible, the names are grouped in groups of two, three, or four. There are two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John. In fact, all through the Bible, there are groups of twos, threes, fours, because there's a power in two not present in one, and in threes and fours not present in two. In fact, there's even a church song about it. If you Go to church a lot. You probably heard it, right? Children, go where I send thee. How shall, right? I'm going to send thee two by two. Oh, come on. You know it. (laughs) And now it's stuck in your head for the rest of the day if you know it. See, Jesus never wanted to start an institution, school, or a club. He launched a movement that would be carried out by a community that had three characteristics. First, they were radically devoted to Jesus. Text says Jesus picks his disciples that they might be with him. They're not just a little devoted, they're radically devoted. Immediately before this text, there's a story of how crowds are following Jesus because of the miracles that he does. But in this text, Jesus makes a distinction between those following him in a transactional way for what they can get and those following him in a relational way. These disciples are going to spend three years with Jesus becoming like him and do that together because we need each other to increase our devotion to Jesus. A log that rolls away from the fire stops burning. Without each other, our devotion to Jesus can burn out. Second characteristic is they were radically devoted to each other in lots of ways. And I'm going to spend a little time on this one. In the book of Acts, they help each other out financially, care for each other when they're sick. All things we do in this church, through our small groups or through our deacons who visit and pray and bring meals when needed, they, they cared for each other's needs other way that they were devoted to each other. They were devoted to each other's spiritual growth. And, and you can see that in the list of disciples. Because you know what? These guys needed some spiritual growth. Right? They, these, this is a messed up group of people. It says this, these are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, which means rock. Only if you know the story, he wasn't very rock-like, was he? Always says the wrong thing, denies Jesus. At one point, he cuts off a guy's ear. Not helpful, right? Because now there's an ear on the ground, which is always awkward. Right? Like, what are we going to do with that? Who's going to pick it up, right? I'm not going to, right? Then it goes on. There's James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name, that name, Bonerges or whatever, which means sons of thunder. Okay, how do you think they got that nickname? Because they were jerks. Honestly, after one village refuses to hear their message, they say to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Oh, please. Right? Like, as if they could. How would you like it if one Sunday you didn't like a sermon and I tried to call fire down from heaven on you? You wouldn't like it, would you? Imagine a three-year road trip with these guys. 
Then it goes on. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus. Most of these guys we never hear from again. This is their moment, right? That's all they do. They just appear as a name. They didn't do much. And then there's Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And that last name makes it real clear that Jesus' ministry wasn't to or for sinners. It was with sinners. And too often, Christians have gone to one of two extremes, neither helpful. One is to say, ah, sin, it doesn't matter. It's an old-fashioned concept, no big deal. The other is to get all judgmental and judge folks, right? But biblical community is a place where we, ha- where we can be honest with our sins, our faults, our failures, all of our stuff. Be honest. But through our devotion to Jesus, we become different people. And too often, the message in churches has been behave, believe, belong. If you behave the way we tell you and believe what we tell you, then you can be part of us. You can belong. But Jesus' community is always meant to be belong, believe, become. A place where we can belong even if we don't yet believe. But we see how Jesus makes a difference and then we come to believe. And then we don't so much behave as we become the people that Jesus created us to be. Belong, believe, become. But you know what? It's not just the church that kind of puts pressure on us to to have to pretend and feel like we have to hide all of our stuff. It's not just the church that does that. Our east side culture is pretty vicious, isn't it? I've lived all over the country. I have never lived in a place where folks are more afraid to be honest about what's really going on in their lives than here. And I've never lived in a place where there is more pressure to pretend to have it all together than here. But when we're honest with our stuff, then we become who God created us to be and we get free of having to pose all the time because that's just a ton of pressure. Wouldn't this be great if you could walk in this place every Sunday and go, this is the one place I do not have to pretend. I can just be who I am. Now, that doesn't mean the only thing we talk about in community is what's wrong and our problems and our burden. That would just get irritating after a while. Right? Community is also a place where we can have fun, where we can laugh, where we can joke, celebrate. You know, go do fun things. Go golfing if you think that's fun. Go. <laughs> but we're also devoted to each other's needs, each other's spiritual growth, and devoted across radical barriers. You know, you see that in the text as well with Matthew and Simon. Simon was a zealot. Zealots were leftist extremists committed to the violent overthrow of the Roman government, a.k.a. terrorists. Jesus puts a terrorist in his inner circle. And as a zealot, the only people Simon hated more than the Romans were tax collectors who collaborated with the Romans to make huge profits at the expense of their fellow Jews. So what does Jesus do? He says, Simon, you're a zealot who takes tax collectors. I'll take you. And Matthew, you're a tax collector. I'll take you too. Here, why don't you guys room together? Right? Like this is Bible study from hell. It'd be like putting Palestinian terrorists and Israelis together, and yet they become a community through the power of Jesus. I know of two guys, one a hardcore liberal, the other conservative. One reads The Stranger, the other The Wall Street Journal. They became friends through church. I know, this is a miracle, isn't it? (laughs) They became friends through church. They pray together, they encourage each other, they do a lot of fun things together. And yeah, they talk about politics, but they don't fight. They actually try to learn from each other. You know why they can do that? Because they are devoted to something that's been around a whole lot longer than Democrats and Republicans. Jesus and his kingdom. And as I said before, church is the one place where the person you least want to see is always there. Right? And even as I say that, you're probably, you can probably think of someone, can't you? Here's the great thing. They're thinking about you too. 
Isn't that awesome? Remember those monkeys who could problem solve better when there was another monkey in the cage? Of course they could. More monkeys means more problems to solve. Right? That's the great thing about church. So many monkeys creating so many problems to solve all over the place. And because of that, because we have to work through that together, instead of do what our culture does, which is, oh, you get on my nerves, I'm going to leave, right? And that list gets longer and longer and longer, right? Instead, we come together and through the power of Jesus, we get reconciled across those problems. And that's a deep relationship. That's one that's going to last. Radically devoted to Jesus, each other, and then finally, radically devoted to the world. Text says he appointed 12, designating them apostles, which means sent ones, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. That is, they're not just called together for themselves to be a community, you know? It's more than that. They're, they're also sent to heal the world, to be as a community, to heal the world. The fact that there is 12 of them shows that. The, Israel had 12 tribes. And, and Israel was always meant to be a missional nation that carried God's love to the whole world. And Jesus reconstitutes that here. Radically devoted to Jesus, each other, and the world. And here's the thing. These are not options on a menu to choose. They're non-negotiables. And any one or two of these things is a really good thing, but we don't experience the fullness and the fun of real, authentic, biblical community until it's all three. So practically speaking, how can we have more community? Pra how can we do this, practically speaking? A couple of ideas. First, let's just start with some basics. For instance, try sitting in the same place every week, which actually tons of you already do. I can practically take attendance. You know, oh, Jones isn't here this week. Wonder where he is. I don't do that, but I could if I wanted to, just letting you know. Right, so maybe sit in the same place, and then I had this idea, talk to each other. Before and after the service, don't rush out of here. And I know lots of you have kids in Sunday school. You know what? We changed the way we do pickup this year so that you don't have to rush out of here to get to them. They'll, they'll keep. It'll be fine. <laughs> so take the, take the first two minutes. After the service, take the first two minutes maybe to talk to someone you don't know, not your friends. Two minutes to talk to someone you don't know, and then go talk to your friends. And maybe, you know, and a lot of you do this. Go, go out for coffee afterwards or brunch or something like that. A woman from our church was in Starbucks and got to talking about churches to someone else who was in line. And the woman said, well, I go to Bellevue Presbyterian. And the other person said, oh, great church. Tough nut to crack at first, but once you're in, it's great. Oh, ouch. Now, I want to quickly say many, many of you are very warm and welcoming. And I get emails from visitors all the time telling me how warmly welcomed they have felt here. So I'm not, that's not a universal experience, right? And I've experienced the warmth that's here. Her experience isn't universal. But there are some of us, myself included, who are a little on the shy side. Maybe even chose a Presbyterian church because of that, right? Thinking, oh, they're all introverts there. I don't have to talk to anybody, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. But I'll try if you'll try. And there's some other basics. Call the church and join a small group. Men's fraternity, women at the well. Get involved in a service group like auto angels or teaching Sunday school. Second way to kind of experience more community is to schedule it. You've got to make it a priority. When we did the survey this summer, we got an email from a longtime member, and she just nailed it before the results. Here's what you're going to find. She said, she listed all the stuff we're strong at, and then she said, but I don't think people feel connected here. But I don't know how you're going to fix it. Because people are so busy, you can have lots of events for people to meet, but are they going to come? And I thought that was a good question because I know I am and you are. We're so busy, it's hard to have those friendships. 
But if deep relationships is what's really going to give us lasting joy, then this is too important not to do for our own sakes because it does bring joy. So make time for a small group or come to some of the events we do designed for community, like the Christmas carol sing in a couple of weeks. We sing some songs together and nothing builds community like someone off key, right? Like that's just an amazing experience. Then we'll have hot chocolate afterwards and hang out and talk, right? I have a couple of close friends I make sure that I see regularly. Mike Howerton, pastor at Overlake Church, very close friend of mine, encourages me. I make sure I see him all the time. Many of you know there's a guy in this church who I have met with every Thursday at 4.30. For 10 years, we've done that. And sometimes we talk about deep stuff. Sometimes we just laugh and joke and shoot the breeze. Other times we go do something fun together. But it's on the schedule, and that's the point. And my administrative assistants over the years have known that that's like the third rail of my schedule, right? Do not touch that. Don't touch that. For on the day ye touch thereof, ye shall surely die, right? <laughs> every Thursday, 4.30, 10 years, that's how our friendship grows. And then third, make it a priority, and then third, go deeper. We need one or two people other than our spouse to, yes, go have fun with, absolutely. Do fun things together, but also know what we struggle with. Because that sets you free from the feeling like you're just being a, found out a, to be a poser. Someone has found out you are a poser, because all of us are posers, right? But they love you anyway. And that just sets us free. It also helps us experience God's love because it comes from another person. And this doesn't have to get all emotionally sloppy all the time. I know some of us are a little wigged out by that. It doesn't have to be, you know, crying and hugging and saying things like, I love you, man, right? It can be if you like that, right? But it can just be normal. You know, maybe it's someone you golf with and you just start asking a couple of deeper questions. What's been great this week? What's been hard this week? How's your marriage? How's this? How's that? Now, don't dump all your stuff on each other all at once, right? Here's all my problems. Boom. That's weird. Don't do that. And pick someone who's going to respond well, who's not going to get all judgmental. And there's lots of people in this church that are going to respond well. Don't be giving me the no one can do that excuse. But instead, they're going to say, this doesn't define you. How can I help you be who you want to be? How can I stand beside you as you do that? Last spring, I got to have lunch at the Seahawks training facility with a guy who works for the Seahawks and goes to this church, and it was so cool. In fact, I had a meeting that day. I canceled it because I really wanted to go. Right? And, and I got to tour the whole facility, weight room, uh, you know, training room, all of that stuff. Got to see all of the players. It was so awesome. The whole time, there was this one thought going through my head over and over and over again. Holy cow, these guys are big. Like, they're just giant. I felt like a hobbit. So here's the thing. We live in a world where it is easy to feel like a spiritual, emotional, vocational hobbit. Everyone seems so big and they seem to have it all together. But it's only when we get honest with each other that we discover I'm a hobbit, you're a hobbit, we are hobbits all. Right? And when we get together, we can do the hobbit call. I'm not perfect. What a relief. I just read a story about a 15-year-old boy named Davian who stood up in a church in Florida and asked for someone to adopt him. And he said, I'll take anyone. Old, young, black, white, purple, I don't care. And his mentor was with him, a 23-year-old named Richard. And Richard said he could hardly believe the teenager in front of him was the same one he met 18 months ago who cussed all the time, kicked holes in walls, and did everything he could to push people away. And when Richard was interviewed by a reporter, he said, I want to tell you what God is doing in this. God put us together for a reason. 
Two years ago, Richard was a college student who was working in a medical office and also serving as his grandparents' caregiver, so really busy. And then one Sunday in church, he heard an announcement asking for mentors for teenagers who were foster kids, particularly men, because the, the, the men in the system, they, the boys in the system see a lot of women, but they don't have a lot of male role models. So Richard felt nudged by the Holy Spirit to look into it, proving that the announcements can be the most important part of church. But when he found out that he'd have to meet with his mentee for an hour a week, he said, I, I can't, I'm too busy for that kind of community. But later he agreed to a compromise of every other week. And when they asked him what kind of kid he'd like, he said, well, I'll take anyone. So they put him with Davian, who was depressed and angry, but wanted a mentor, and who said, I'll take anyone. So they put the two people together who said, I'll take anyone. Actually, that's a really good formula for community. Right? I'll take anyone. Pretty soon... Though, for Richard, seeing Davian twice a month, that wasn't enough. And now they spend three, four, five hours every week together. And Richard says, my week's not complete unless I see him. And I had to take a leap of faith with my schedule, but I'm so glad I did it. They talk about God, about Davian's struggles, about Richard's struggles. They go do fun things together. And along the way, Davian began to change and he worked on, he worked on uh, getting, kind of controlling his anger, and his grades started to improve. And Richard helped him set those goals and encouraged him to become the man that he wanted to be. Well, meanwhile, Davian's adoption counselor was getting worried that in three years he was going to age out of the system. So she decided to start going to churches and ask people to adopt Davian, a very unorthodox move. I'm surprised she wasn't fired for it. And the second church Davian spoke at was Richard's. And Richard prayed with him before he went up to speak. And then Davian got up and said, I'll take anyone. I just want a family. Afterwards, Richard hugged him, told him, I love you. I'm so proud of you. It was a real important moment. Now, Davian doesn't yet have a family, but that's on its way. That's coming. And as a result of the news coverage, the local adoption agencies have had a lot more families said they'd be willing to take a teenager, to adopt a teenager, of which there are tens of thousands needing a home. See, that's what I'm talking about. Davian and Richard are devoted to Jesus, they're devoted to each other, sharing the real things in their lives, and they're even affecting the world by raising awareness of teens who need to be adopted. And Davian got this great mentor, and Richard got to be part of changing someone's life forever, which is just cool, and a great older, younger brother friendship that that, that makes his worries about college and schedules and all that just pale in comparison. So how you fix for community? And who could you spend more time with? Doing fun stuff together, absolutely for sure, but also going a little bit deeper. You know, the night before Jesus was crucified, he takes his disciples to an upper room for one last supper. And he has a strategic plan. With these 12 kooks, he's going to take God's love to the entire world. That's a big market. So he brings them together in the upper room, sort of the equivalent of their offsite, and then he prays. But he doesn't pray for the money they're going to need or for converts. He says, Father, make them one as you and I are one. Because he knew that they're going to need him and each other to change themselves and to change the world. So today, in a minute, we're going to give us all a chance to be just a little bit more of a community. When you came in, in your bulletin, you got a card in the bulletin, and I'm going to ask you to write, and there's some pencils that you got. I'm going to ask you to write out a prayer request on this card. Not yet. I'm still preaching. That's rude, right? But in a minute, write out a prayer request and do not put your name on it. Keep it anonymous. And write down something real. Not your Aunt Edna's bunions, though I'm sure that's real important, but 
something close to your heart, maybe something you've almost given up hope on, or, or maybe you just want to know Jesus better. Write that prayer request down, fold it over, and then after a little bit, the baskets will come around, and we're going to collect them. We're going to mix them up, and then as you leave, grab a card. And all week, pray for the request that's on that card. And you're not going to know whose card you have, but it's someone in this room. And when you come back next week, know that somebody in this room has been praying for you all week long so that we can be just a little bit more of a community because that's what Jesus wants us to be because Jesus knows that's who we need to be for our own sakes. I saw a T-shirt once, tongue-in-cheek, that said, they will know we are Christians by our T-shirts. That's not how it goes, is it? Jesus says to his disciples, they will know you are my disciples. How? By your love for one another, by our love for one another in the world, they will know we are Christians. So Jesus, help us by the power of your spirit in a culture that works against relationship and against community. Help us in this place here at Bell Press to have a community, close friendships, where we are radically devoted to you, radically devoted to each other, and radically devoted to that world you love so much. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.